say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Guys, thanks so much. And ladies, what an incredible worship team we have. Thank you, tech crew. Love the way that uh, Jesus uses you guys. That's uh, amazing. It's fun to watch you guys play and coordinate. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. That's my name. We haven't met. Kairos is this congregation. We want to be the kind of people who engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And that's not just some fancy little mission statement. That's a rearticulation of go and make disciples that make disciples. And that's just not something I'm charging you with. It's something I'm trying to live in every single day of my life. I want to make sure that I am open and aware of all the possibilities to have gospel conversations with people around me, even as an introvert, even as someone who doesn't like initiating conversation. Like the other day, I had a great opportunity to talk to one of my acquaintances. His name's Ty, African-American, really, really strong, small business owner in our community. And he just calls me Pasta, which is always weird because it's like there's this invisible barrier between us, which is, hey, don't talk like that around him. I said, stick around. I'll be the one apologizing to you later. But uh, we just got to talking, and um, he's asking me how you guys are doing. I said, great, we love it. You're welcome to come anytime you want. And the conversation just kind of fizzled, and just felt the Holy Spirit going. <laughs> so I said, hey, Ty, do you do the church thing? I used to. <laughs> Long, awkward pause. I said, well, tell me about that. I said, yeah, man, I, I played football in college. It was my ticket out of the ghetto. And when I got there, um, this church invited the whole football team to come to one of their services. And I thought, man, what a great opportunity for you to talk about Jesus and salvation. And he said, and the preacher spent the whole time asking people for money. And I was sad in my spirit. Uh, one is, I don't know that preacher. Um, if you're going to preach the message of Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about money. And so those are things you need to preach on. Or it could be that, unfortunately, like so many church leaders today, they were using the name of Jesus to build their own kingdom. And when I think about that, I wonder what Ty thinks about when he looks at the church from the outside and realizes the church right now has a black eye. The very sins that we stand up here and preach against wind up punching us in the face. And the world sees that there's no difference between us and them except a lot of condemnation. I don't know if you saw this in the news or not, but quite literally the church has a black eye. Uh, have you seen a picture of our Pope? Wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> the church has a black eye was the name of this article, which I, I love. Um, and apparently... He was on a trip somewhere, and he's behind, I don't know what you call it, I call it a drum shield. Like, they put the Pope behind the drum shield so no one can shoot him. And he's in there like this, going, hey guys, hey guys. Well, apparently, uh, the driver was a Protestant or something, and he just tapped the brakes. And that is not appropriate. I have much ecumenical love, okay? And that's not at all how the story was written. <laughs> if you're a Catholic and you're here, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. That's not what I'm trying to do in this moment. But boom, old Pope hits the front of the glass and just gets a black eye, a shiner. And this was really a complimentary article about him. It just said that wasn't going to sideline him. He wasn't going to put makeup and cover it up. He continued on with his visits and the people that he needed to be in front of. And it was really hopeful for the future of the church. 
As the Catholic Church, they know with their long history, they've got a black eye of what some of their leaders have done. And I'm not just here to hold up other denominations and say, look at all the sins you guys have committed. We're going to talk honestly about ours. Since 1998, roughly 380 Southern Baptist Church leaders and volunteers face allegations of sexual misconduct. Black eye. 100% of 1,050 Reformed and Evangelical pastors had a colleague who left the ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. 38% are divorced or divorcing. 50% admit to using pornography. And 37% report inappropriate sexual behavior with someone in the church. Mercy, Lord. Mercy. Those are things, I want to hold those things up with two things. One, we repent and we renounce for the abuse of power and for the victims that are affected. And we pray for reconciliation and redemption. At the same time, there are leaders who somewhere got off track and forgot the very Jesus whom they preached. Howard Hendricks was a guy who studied uh, pastors with moral failures, 246 full-time ministers who experienced a moral failure within a two-year period. As far as he could discern, all of them were born again, had an incredible faith, but after their moral failure, he compiled a list of common characteristics in their lives. Here's what he found. None of them was involved in any kind of real personal accountability. Each of them had all but ceased having a daily time of personal prayer, Bible reading, and worship. And this one I don't have a slide for, but he commented that each of them had been convinced before their fall, that will never happen to me. We've got a black eye. And I wonder when our leaders decided to use the name of Jesus rather than submit to the name of Jesus. I wonder when they decided to start building their own kingdoms and put Christ's name on it. And it's not just our leaders. You guys too, as followers of Jesus, I think there's a profound sense of danger for those of us who are just using the name of Jesus to advance our own agendas, ideas, and desires. Sometimes we can be around Christian religious services and learn how to baptize and say anything to make it sound really, really Christian. But at the end of the day, it's you harboring secret sins, desires, and ambitions that are counterintuitive to the very kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And so that's why we're going to do a series called Namesake, Come Find Yourself in Family. Consistently and repetitively, especially here at the Congregation of Kairos, we will return to identity and purpose as some of the core central themes for Christian living. Because if we do not understand who we truly are in Christ, we make room for the enemy to deceive us, to trip us up, and sabotage our God-given identity, our God-given authority, and our God-given responsibility to live in community and expand the kingdom of God. And in the text we're going to look in tonight, we're going to see seven religious leaders who got it wrong. And like so many before them, they're going to walk out with a black eye as well. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And as you're turning there, I'll pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see, even if they're black eyes, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? 
Jesus, would you go before us and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Acts 19, we'll pick it up in verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue. This is going to be a long, good story, I promise, okay? You're, gonna, you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way is what they used to call Christianity when it first came out. Maligned means gossip, slandered, conspired against him. So Paul left them. Bless the Lord. He took the disciples with him, and he had daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's what the locals called it. I do my homework. I try not to flaunt it, but sometimes I can't help it. This went on for two years so that all the Jews, two years of discipleship, oh my gosh. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the providence of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day... The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Freaky. <laughs> then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. The end. Night, night, Christopher, sweet dreams. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. No kidding. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed, oh, you mean they still struggle with sin? Now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it came to 50,000 dramakas, 50,000 um, shekels of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Did you, I, I, did you ever hear this teaching when you were growing up for any of my little religious nerds who grew up in Christian subculture? Did you ever have someone say this? If you don't end your prayer by saying, in Jesus' name. Amen. God doesn't hear your prayer. Anybody? No, it's just me and my weird fundamentalist church? Okay, great. There's a friend. <laughs> like, I can literally remember being in school and someone just said, thank you, Lord. Amen. We're like, he didn't say in Jesus' name. They're not hearing that prayer. <laughs> I we, we were loving little legalists, man. We were straining gnats out of everything. We, we didn't care. We were trying to take the word of God seriously, but we seriously have problems, I think, sometimes. I think maybe it's loosely based off of John 14, 14. Whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. But then there's a shadow side to teaching, like, legalistic, little, miraculous, little, mystical incantations. Like, somehow you say, in the name of Jesus, 
And I can ask for like a Lamborghini and a million dollars, right? And in Jesus' name, of course, amen, right? <laughs> I'm gonna use all that for your glory, translated mine, thank you very much, I'll take it. And I wonder if this isn't what was happening here, some with the seven sons of Stephen. They saw Christianity moving in power. And one of the things that I think it's tough for us to realize in the context and in the text, when you say in the name of something, it's just not quoting someone's name. You're actually invoking their name, their reputation. And when you do, what you're saying is, I've been entrusted with the power and authority to represent that person's name, agenda, and desires. That's what it means when we pray in the name of Jesus. And that's something we shouldn't take lightly. That's what it meant for these boys who are running around, these traveling Jewish exorcists, who are seeing the name of Jesus grow in fame and popularity, and they're watching their market share shrink. They're like a bunch of taxi drivers going, Uber sucks, I can't stand this, what's happened to my business? So they're going to download an app real quick, and they're going to give it a shot and go, hey, let's see if this thing can work, whether or not I know who Jesus is, I've seen it work. Because Paul... Right? He literally has his identity changed. He has his name changed. His namesake goes from Saul to Paul. He goes from someone who was persecuting the church to someone who's now spreading the name of Jesus and enduring persecution while he's doing it. He's gone from killing Christians to creating Christians. And he doesn't care about fame or fortune or consequences. And when someone's that sold out, that invested, invoking the name, the mission, the message, and the manner of Jesus, power and authority follows. And it was beginning to spread. And they were seeing spiritual breakthrough after spiritual breakthrough after spiritual breakthrough. And some people on the fringes, their first priority was providing for themselves saw an evangelistic opportunity to make a little extra cash. And they stepped in, and then they got their butts beat. <laughs> I would submit to you that being named by Jesus and using Jesus' name are two different things. They were using Jesus' name, but they weren't named by Jesus. I have a question for you guys tonight. Can I ask you as simply as I possibly can, especially in our wonderful town of Music City, height of Christian culture, where we profit from the name of Jesus. Are you following Jesus, or are you just using Jesus to get more followers? When you pray, do you pray, God, will you glorify Jesus through my name? Or do you pray, God, glorify my name, and if you have to use Jesus, go ahead. The first one makes you a humble servant of God. The second one makes you a hypocritical slave to your own press. Jesus talked about this in the gospel. He said, and again, I have to hear this first as a church leader. On the last day, many will come before me and say, hey, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't I preach a lot of sermons in your name? Didn't I cut a worship CD in your name? And I will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You used my name, but you had never been named by me. You knew of me, but you did not know me. You flirted with my power and authority for your own personal benefit, but you never submitted to it and were transformed by my name. There's a lot of us in here who I think we've adopted some of the teachings of Jesus, but we've never been adopted by Jesus. 
there's plenty of us in here who will come and sing the name of Jesus, but we've never experienced Jesus singing over us and quieting us with his love. That's Zephaniah 3.16. And the question you have to ask yourself tonight, the seven sons of Siva, you and I, is, are we just taking a sample of Jesus, or are we getting to the source of Jesus? Do I just want the gift, or am I after the giver? I think when we start to understand our namesake and our family and our God-given identity and authority and our place in his community, we'll start to realize God's been shaping our story all along. Whenever I'm getting to know someone, I want them to know about my family because it says a lot about who I am. These guys get to know me. You know that I wasn't born in the South. I was born up North, Baltimore, Maryland, moved around about every four years, hit Delaware for a while, a couple places in Pennsylvania, ultimately landed in a coal cracking small town in the mountains of Pennsylvania. That's where I spent junior high and high school and grew up. Now, I am limited by that cultural experience, especially when it comes to culinary foods, okay? I had not yet been to the South. You were a mythical people, and I, it was weird, okay? I, I watched four seconds of Gone with the Wind and knew everything I needed to know. <laughs> I did not know grits existed. I did not know what okra was. I didn't know you could sweeten your tea, which, God forbid, that's like heroin. Um, and I didn't know you could fry anything. Didn't know any of that. At, from the Northeast, the height of my culinary culture was pierogies, kielbasa, and Philly cheesesteak, which sounds really good right about now. I have to be really honest with you. I'm about to get back to my roots. But because I was also in a small town, it, the choices were simple, right? Hamburger equals McDonald's, your only option. Chicken equals Kentucky Fried Chicken, only option. That's back when it was called Kentucky Fried Chicken, not KFC, because they're genetically altering mutants in their labs, okay? <laughs> Pizza, Pizza Hut, boom, you're done, that's it. Nothing else, okay? And so finally, in the early 90s, when I decided to migrate down to the south, I'm overwhelmed with all these confusion of culinary delights, I'm trying to sample, I'm trying to be adventurous, some of it I'm not doing too well at. But even so, I felt like Country Mouse went to the city, like Northern Mouse went to the South, going to the mall, right? All of a sudden, I'll, there's a bunch of restaurants I don't recognize. I'm bebopping down with my boys one day and we're hitting the food court and I look all of a sudden, there's this French bistro restaurant that I don't really recognize and I'm like, Shifala? That looks awesome. <laughs> Guys, have you, have you all ever eaten that Shifala? And they're like, you stupid Yankee, it's called Chick-fil-A. I'm the stupid one, that's not how it's spelled, bro, okay? So I would have passed by because I'm embarrassed about this fresh breeze row, apparently, that they knew all about. But then there's this polite young woman standing out front there who just said, sir, would you like a sample? I said, indeed I will. I'm passing up free food. I'm like, oh, chicken, big deal, all right? Give me to the good stuff. So I'd take the toothpick, take a couple steps, take a bite, and stop dead in my tracks. <laughs> Did not know it could be that tender and juicy and delightful. <laughs> like, this is almost shouldn't be called chicken. It's that good. Now, what do I do in that moment after my taste buds have just been converted to the way, the truth, and the chicken? <laughs> I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't go, oh, thanks, and walk straight over to Panda Express and shoot up on MSGs, okay? <laughs> no one likes Panda Express except Nguyen, and you're weird, okay? 
I didn't go over to Sbarro and go, I'd like a piece of cardboard with extra cheese on it, please. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and I'll tell you what I didn't do either. I didn't just do laps around the food court hoping that girl had short-term memory loss each time trying to fill up on the samples and having fun and messing with her and saying, thank you, my pleasure, thank you, my pleasure, thank you, my pleasure. Here's exactly what I did. I walked straight up to that counter. I said, shika falah, there's all the money I have in my pocket. How much can I get of that stuff I just sampled in my mouth immediately? Why? Because I, I was ready to stand underneath their name and get to the source of their product because I had a sample. Samples were meant to drive you to the source. Can I ask you a question? Why are so many of you here on Tuesday night still just sampling Jesus instead of going to the source? You want to come in here and you want to sing about Jesus, but then you want to go out and feast in the gutter of your sin and depravity, and you're wondering why your life isn't changing at all. All those leaders we talked about, myself included, who want to cross my arms and go, disgusting, I can't believe you would ever do that. How many of their common traits are true of us right now? Stop reading God's word, it lies unopened. Prayer requests go unspoken and community le is left unattended. We're headed for black eyes as well then. The sample was meant to drive you to the source. Seven sons of Siva, they got a sample and they just wanted to use it for their own personal benefit. But I wanna know what it would look like if you and I consistently and courageously decided, you know what? I'm gonna empty my pockets. And whatever it is and whatever the cost to disciple Jesus, the sample I've received of you is not enough. I need to get to the source. Because you alone have the words of life and salvation. And no matter what my preferences are, no what my predilections are, no matter all the questions and doubts, I'm still in if you will disciple me in your ways so that I can experience power, identity, and authority as your son. We weren't meant to stop at the sample. We were meant to go to the source. And for those of you who I just described, I have much love and compassion for you, but the most kind and compassionate thing I can do for you, if you're just here to sample Jesus and never get to the source, I have to warn you. If you haven't already, one day you'll encounter the enemy. And you'll find out too late that there's no power and identity and authority behind you. And you will be broken. And you will be bleeding when that happens. Or you could turn to the source, the one who was broken and beaten and bled and died for you. And you can push all of your resources, times, dreams, hopes, fears across the table say I'm in under your name and I want a new name that you're going to recognize me by Jesus I know Paul I've heard of who are you I want to pastor a congregation that says as Christians it's not enough that just heaven knows my name I want to get into my identity my power my authority my passion and my purpose so much so that hell knows because I'm coming after their territory and reclaiming it for my fathers who it was in the first place. Right. We're not going to settle for the sample, are we? Right. We're going straight to the source. Amen? Amen. So let's take 120 seconds.
pray and process. We want to preach the Bible clearly and have an opportunity for there to be repentance and belief, power and authority, identity restored in the men and women of God. At the end of that text, it talks about a revival that went through the community. People were confessing their sins, and one of the things that they were doing is bringing all this other stuff that they had kind of trusted in and burning it. It says they calculated it, and it was 50,000 pieces of silver, which I believe, if I have done the translation correctly, was equal to 137 years of full-time salaries. Modern-day translation, it would have been close to $2 million that they said it's not worth it. I'm in under the name of Jesus. He's not just one name among many that I'm trusting in. He's the only one. What is it right now that you need to liquidate and you need to empty that is probably going to cost you more than you care to consider? But if it means you understanding your true identity, authority, and power under the name of Jesus, then you will gladly sacrifice it. What's us in the end?